0: He'd be like, you know, I'll I'll run for Curtis Grant, or I'll run for Ryan Shazier. I ain't running for your ass. (laughs) You know, like a guy who hadn't proven himself, who hadn't really opened up his chest to the program yet. The Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, with Joshua
1: Perry and Evan Spencer. Hosted by Chris Coleman. Welcome, Buckeye fans. It's Chris Caldwell, and you're listening to another episode of the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, with your hosts and former standouts from the 2014 National Champions, receiver Evan Spencer and linebacker Joshua Perry. How we doing, guys? Good, good, Great. good. Good. A quick reminder before we start the show. Here's how you can find us on social media. At Twitter, at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram at glory underscore days underscore pod, and on Facebook at glory days podcast. Well, I'm super excited because as we record this, taking the proper precautions, we're actually all in the same place—lovely Columbus, Ohio, which is a COVID rarity. It is nice to see each other. I will exactly. say, exactly, you know,
2: get to do this with some eyes on each other in the back. I know.
1: Day. But this is something we wanted to do because we felt being together in the same room enhances our ability to give unique insight into this extraordinary team. And that's what you, our listeners, deserve, our very best. Now that said, as you're going to see during this series, due to COVID, we can't always be in the same room. But I can guarantee you this, you're going to get our very best every time, no matter the limitations, this we pledge to you. But on to our discussion. And as we closed our initial episode, we left off in a challenging place, talking about the way 2013 ended with two straight losses after an amazing 24 consecutive victories. But using that as a backdrop and knowing that some changes are going to come to the program in 2014, I want to start this episode off with a retrospective question for the both of you. Does the 2014 team's success happen? without the pain of how 2013 ended.
2: No way. I mean, in, in my opinion, there's, there's just no chance, right? Because, I mean, like, we've gone on to say in, you know, a number of conversations the fact that, like, listen, this is one of the worst that I've felt after a football game, right? Like, I had to look one of my best friends in the eye and say, hey, you know, best of luck at the next thing. Like, you know, all of us still got to go do it one more time, and we weren't able to send you out the right way. Um, on top of just losing, right? Like, we haven't we hadn't done that that much. It was, you know, all, all in, we had example after example to really set the, the the stage for what needed to happen the next year, how we needed to finish, right? And 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 being obsessed with the effort that it took to finish.
0: Yeah. And and for me, I said this at the end of the first episode, but When you look at the way that that year ended, it made us really have to confront who we were as a team and what we were doing. And I think that was one of the bigger things up to that point. We didn't really have to have that hard conversation with ourselves because what we were doing was working. We were winning. We saw the results, even if it wasn't the best way to do it, or even if we had deficiencies. And after losing two in a row, it was a real hard conversation that we needed to have are we really doing all of the things that we need to do? Are we actually as good as we think we are?
1: Well, speaking of 2014, let's talk about how the year is going to start for you and the team. Because the Clemson game is played on a Friday, January 3rd to be specific. And after that game is over, you'll have just completed a grueling 14-game, four-month schedule. When are you expected to be back in the facility and begin your training for the 2014 season? Because before you answer... The last time I checked you two were both, you know, 20 or 21 year old college students, not professional athletes, not yet, at least. When do you have to be back and ready to start this grind again? <laughs>
2: My goodness. Well,
0: I guess the, the answer to that is depends on how you finish up the year, yeah, right. you know, cause we, we finished on such a low note. The expectation is you're back ASAP. Mm-hmm. And when you get back, the workouts aren't, mandatory they're what we call discretionary that never really exists like you're expected to come in even on your off time um but there was no like hey you know take a week off or whatever it is and get settled into classes beforehand they were like all right classes started that means you're back on campus and it's time to roll
2: yeah i mean the, the, the way that i'd also put that is like you know in our in our discretionary periods the coaches would be very particular on like oh, hey, make sure you're catching your balls or you're supposed to get 100 balls in this week or this is the target that we're setting for all of our receivers. Well, if it's during discretionary time, I got to go into the Woody to go get my 100 balls. I, that means I also got to go work out and go work out with Coach Mick when I get my 100 balls. So while it is very much optional and discretionary when those first week or two that we come back, to Josh's point, it, it, I mean, it depends. Hey, are we? do we need to press you know the blow up button and figure out how we're going to win football games here? Or is this a you know, depleted football team that, you know, has injuries out the wazoo and, and, and needs a deep breath. Now for us, it was very much the former get in and get working and get it out of your legs. But, you know, shoot, I broke my leg. So there was, there were some unique cases in there that had to slow down the process. But, you know, quite honestly, we were all sick to our stomachs with the, uh, our inability to finish from the year prior that, you know, uh, we, we hated the workouts, but we almost were looking forward to getting back at it again because we needed to write the ship, a little bit better than we at least set sail on the uh, the year prior.
1: Didn't you guys say? And we'll get to Coach Mick in a minute. But he basically the comment to you guys was that you're only as good as your last game. And your last game, you guys were shit. That
0: that was the exact comment. I I can remember it, and I th- it's so intentional that he would say that. Number one, he had to say it because we needed to hear that, and I don't think we had heard that as a team enough. Uh, but I think he wanted to set the tone for his expectation of what the off season was going to be, just in terms of work capacity and so for us understanding that if the last thing we did was not very good then our attitude has to be that we have to outwork all the bad that we did in the last game and
1: that was that was the tone of the offseason before we carry on a quick word to potential advertisers we're looking to get your spot in our show Glory Days podcast can help you reach fans that want what you're selling. And not just Ohio State fans, but
0: college football fans around the country.
2: That's right. And there's a variety of ways that you guys can advertise with us. Just ask and we'll help you find what you need.
1: And look, if you don't know what you want to do, we can even help you create your own commercial. If you'd like to become a Glory Days partner, drop us a line at info at glorydays.media. That's info at glorydays.media. Well, notice I said the word student. And to bring it back around to the academic side of things, when Urban was hired, he stated his objective was to recruit student athletes who will win in the classroom and on the field. And as we said in the last episode, you both are proud graduates of Ohio State. For the listening audience, what are your degrees and how are you using them today?
2: Yeah, so I was an econ degree, um, College of Arts and Sciences, right? So that was essentially the degree how it's being used now. I'm in finance, right? So I work in... M&A, real estate, private market investments, and essentially it's just, you know, a lot of negotiation, a lot of communication and trying to represent all parties, right? I feel like whether it's life, football, a lot of the things, you know, that were inherent lessons to playing at Ohio State that we had, it's kind of shown its head here now in the professional world, but
0: that's degree to now career. Smart guy. He's good with numbers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. me, not so much. I was consumer science major. So that was, um, uh, human ecology. Um, and basically it was like the dummies version of a business degree. Um, you know, decided not to go the Fisher route because I didn't want all that on my plate. Uh, but what was really good is I've, I've got the econ experience all the way up to like 4,000 level econ. So, you know, did some of that, uh, finance accounting, um, You know, like business psychology, small business, families in business, just all those different types of things. So now I sell a little bit of real estate here around central Ohio, holler at your boy. Um, And I am in the media space as well on the radio, doing some other podcasting besides this and on television with the big 10 network.
1: Well, I think we both need to add uh, for both of you guys, uh, media visionaries, but we're going to let the show speak for itself. (laughs) All right. You know? Don't forget to throw us a like on Twitter and
2: all that good stuff. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll ask for like titles or something on a Twitter
0: poll later down the road. Hey, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the, one of the options got to be asshole.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's for Gavin. <laughs> it has to go up on the LinkedIn profile for no less than a week. Well, given that both of you graduated with those degrees, can you let the listening audience know how difficult is it to manage a full-time class schedule and also play college football at the highest level? I mean, what's the juggling act here?
2: It's, I mean, it's tough. At at the end of the day, I would say it's not something that anybody couldn't do, but you have to be a certain mindset to excel at it. I mean, you you really do. You have to be a go-getter. You have to be good at time management. You have to be able to be a great, you know, person that takes care of their body. Cause at the end of the day, right. You have to balance going and getting treatment you get to balance. Hey, I put more classes on in this semester. I'll use an example of myself, right. In my last semester, I piled on the classes so I could graduate early and be done after season. Well, you know, that's still my senior year and I had broken my leg and I had to get my balls in and I had to make sure my hamstring was right. And I had to go do this and I had to go do that. So I think that, you know, it's difficult for sure. Um, You know, and for us, it was awesome that we had it that young because mm-hmm. it helps shape how we treat you know our our, our, our relative jobs now but um it, it wasn't easy it, it was it was far from that for sure
1: so with that in mind what are some of the academic resources that the athletic department makes available to you as a football player I know there's study table and if needed academic tutors but what else do you guys have available to you um it, I mean it's
0: it's a basically a, a full a suite of resources that we would have so uh, I, I would say, honestly, number one, best resources, talk to your professor. And I think that our, um, our resources over at the Woody made it really easy for us to feel comfortable talking to our professors. Uh, so that's where it started. But like you said, we had the tutors and those were prescribed to us based off of our academic performance. So uh, you had uh, gold, red and blue. Gold was the top level of guys. They did not have mandatory tutoring, could get tutors if they wanted it. Uh, Red were guys that were progressing, not quite there. They had, um, you know, was it six hours of tutoring? That was mandatory, four to six hours a week or something like that. And then uh, the blue guys were bottom of the barrel, had at least eight hours of tutoring a week. And that was over at the Yunkin uh, Success Center, which was great. Computer labs over there. uh, Tutors were there. They had the academic counselors based out of um, that building. And then the other thing, which I don't think we really have ever discussed, is as a student-athlete, Um, your schedule is actually not based off of your academic schedule. It's based off of your sports schedule. So practice schedules will come out and then we have to figure out how we're going to make our classes work. And so we get priority scheduling so we can schedule classes as early as any of the, the other students can. Um, Now where you run into issues and like our guys have had to change majors because of this This is the thing I hate about uh, college athletic student first. But um, if you have to take a certain course that has maybe a lab component that's only offered in the spring, uh, but you have practice in the morning and they only offer that lab in the morning, like, what do you think your coach is going to tell you? They're not going to say, hey, you know, it's it's fine. Skip practice two days a week. They're going to be like... Bro, yeah. what major yes yeah, I mean, is, is, I mean, yeah. is, is there another yeah. way that you can get to your desired career path through a different major
2: that's a legit question i mean like you gotta think about it like what if i wanted to go take the uh, mergers and acquisitions class that talks about getting in and out of you know Letters of intent, right? So some version of a document. Well, that class starts at 4 o'clock every day or at 4 p.m. every day. And it never changes. And it's one professor and he's awesome. And he's got all of the credentials and credibility in the world. Well, shit, that's like right when seven on seven starts. And that's every day. And I can't move that. So what am I supposed to do next? So that's the paradigm, I think, that happens naturally just because you've got practice and you don't know what to do with. But. When you, you know, overlay that against, oh, well, you know, I want to go be a doctor or, right. you know, I want to be an economist or I want to go do this. And the classes are in these windows. Well, you know, start to pick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Maybe there's other classes that are in better windows that you can take. Well, it's like, well, shit, I like that class. You right. know, what
1: am I supposed to do? I, I want to take that professor. Right. Yeah. right.
0: And it's not to say that, you know, like we probably both were in situations where in the spring we might've gotten out of class or uh, gotten out of practice early to go to class or whatever. Like they'll, they'll try to make the accommodations, but they're, they're not going to let your academic schedule dictate the, the workout schedule. Like uh, whether they say you don't let the tail wag the dog. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we heard that today. Right? Yeah, we sure yeah, did. We did.
0: <laughs> under a much different context. Yeah, a
1: very much different context.
0: Yeah. And we'll leave that bottle. We'll leave shelf, that right yeah.
1: there. Well, when you guys do come back after any sort of break, One day you're called to the Woody Hayes Athletic Facility for a very important meeting with Coach Meyer and the staff. And it's explained by Coach Meyer in his book, Above the Line. And keep in mind, this is January or February of 2014. Quote, there's a lot of honesty that went around the Ohio State football office in the winter of 2014 after the back-to-back losses to Michigan State and Clemson. It started with a five-minute low-light film of the season put together by Mickey Marotti, my longtime strength and conditioning coach, and David Trischel, our video coordinator, it was a horror show all the way. It was so brutal to watch that some of the players were crying, end quote. Guys, describe that video. Hmm. I mean, how
2: how do you? I think the the examples of the tears were a perfect, you know, again, example, 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 a perfect example of what we were all feeling. Because at the end of the day, like those were raw moments for us. Those were some of the darkest athletic times that we had had because we were all collectively trying to play for one another and we got upended, right? Like the worst times and the worst losses are the ones when you feel that like you're out coached Mm -hmm. or you aren't athletic enough and you were outplayed. And we, we like to believe that the second one is never true. And, you know, also sometimes we like to believe, you know, especially the coaches like the first isn't true, but sometimes the coaches don't get us all the way prepared. Sometimes we're not all the way prepared to answer those bells and, the Michigan state game, and especially the Clemson game. It was just a perfect marriage of so many different holes, whether it was coaches and players, uh, you know, trainers and players, like, yep. it just, there was just so much that went wrong. The Virginia tech game is very similar in that. Right. Right. Like you, you see these games where it's like, damn, why is Ohio state not responding? Well, <laughs> it's just because too many different fronts are effing up for lack of a better term.
0: Yeah. And it's, I was going to say just to piggyback off of it, it's like so honest too, like, it's raw. Like you said, um, but it, it, it makes you have to confront certain things that you thought you might be able to skate by. It's, everything was done so intentionally to create that friction and to really make you reconcile with the things that went on the year before. Um, it was, it was a, a, a hyper sense of accountability just from that regard of where we're going to have an honest conversation, literally about everything. We're not going to leave anything out
1: of this. Yeah. What did we say last episode? I mean, brutal honesty is part of the hallmark of right. an urban Meyer program. Yes, and no doubt.
2: and there, there's value in it being tremendously uncomfortable. Right. And that was the, that was the value in this video is like, we all felt like, holy shit, like I did not want to see that play again. Like I thought
0: that film was yeah. buried. No, seriously. Like you know that's, I mean? that's literally the feeling is. I I didn't think that I was ever going to have to see that play again. Like you go through the tape after a game and there are some plays that you see where you did so poorly. You're just like, boy, I'm glad like that one's done. And that was the, the, the play they put on the low light. Like the one you never thought you were going to see again, you saw it again.
1: So when you guys are walking out of the room, do you remember saying anything to anybody or were you guys, I, it you knew what your mission was nothing, and you were
2: absolutely yeah. nothing needed to be said. Yeah. We're walking out to a mat drill where it's going to be physical yep. guys are going to be winner loser. And then it's going to ultimately determine, Hey, who are we going to be able to count on when it's, you know, an important game next season, because ultimately look at effing last year, it, 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 it makes you feel like ass. Okay. Well, great. Respond today, respond the next day, respond the next day. And we might get better from it, you know, and that's, just kind of that incremental improvement strategy that we were rolling on.
1: Well, you mentioned Matt Drills, and we're going to get into kind of what that detail and, and, and that in a minute. But, you know, part of the honesty that went around in the winter of 2014 also included a couple of coaching changes. And before we get into the specifics, giving it the way that, you know, 2013 ended, did you guys think at the conclusion of the Orange Bowl that any coaching changes might be on the horizon?
0: Yeah, well, from my side of the ball, I definitely anticipated that we would have some changes on defense. Um, And quite frankly, what we were doing schematically was not what we needed to be doing. And that is not to disparage any coaches, because it's not to say that their scheme was bad. It was just to say that the scheme didn't fit. Um, And so Everett Uh, Everett Withers was one of the guys who ended up taking another opportunity at James Madison where he became the head coach. And um, I think he was encouraged to seek other opportunities and obviously qualified enough to become a head coach somewhere. Um, But we needed to figure out something different for our defense. And um, I think just from a a base fundamental aspect of how we wanted to play football, it didn't involve the scheme that Everett Withers was probably – Um, you know, most proficient at
2: yeah,
0: and on offense there weren't too many question marks. I mean,
2: I'd say from the coach's standpoint, it was much more just refine and 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 get ready to repeat, right? Because I mean, in a lot of these games, we're talking about fifty nine points against Indiana or something thereof. Um, that's a that's a productive offense. Now we can talk about balance. We can talk about depending too much on Braxton's legs here or not enough on the receivers there. Um, but you know, from a net product standpoint. We, we, we were cooking pretty good.
1: Well, to quote Urban in his book, speaking of the secondary, sometimes you have to blow something up and start over.
0: Thanks very much. They brought in two new coaches on the defensive side of the football. They got to fix it. They know that. We are talking defense here at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center as the Bucks go through
1: there. And to be clear, lest anyone not know, Urban's had some success building some pretty good staffs. He's groomed his fair share of future head coaches. And here's just some, not all of Urban's former assistants who have gone on to head coaching positions. Dan Mullen at Mississippi state in Florida, Luke fickle at Cincinnati, Tom Herman, Houston and Texas, Kyle Whittingham, Utah. You just talked about ever withers at James Madison, Steve Adazio temple, Boston college and Colorado state. Greg Schiano, second time around at Rutgers. Don't get me started on clay. Travis in Tennessee, mm. doc holiday at Marshall. Charlie Strong, Texas, and South Florida. And that's not even the entire list. The staff in 2013, which he does not want to blow up, has four future head coaches with Tom Herman, Luke Fickle, Everett Withers, and the NFL's Mike Vrabel. Amazing, the talent there. And another place where he doesn't get nearly enough credit. But eventually, we're going to have two changes. And it actually comes from coaches taking new positions. Joshua just mentioned one. Everett Withers leaves to become the head coach at James Madison and Mike Vrabel joins his old friend, Bill O'Brien on the staff of the Houston Texans. Let's dissect these two for a second. First Everett Withers, who's a co-defensive coordinator. And I think I could be wrong. Tell me, did he coach the defensive backs? He did. Okay. Okay. He coaches defensive backs. Yeah, he was the safeties. Safeties. Yep. So he's named the head coach at James Madison, and he's replaced by Chris Ash, who joins the staff from Arkansas, but he's probably best remembered for his tenure at Wisconsin. Joshua, you played for both. What's the difference between these two coaches, Chris Ash and Everett Withers?
0: Um, Everett Withers is a, um, he's a guru in multiple defensive schemes. So he's a guy who understands how to um, play different defenses to take advantage of offense's weak points. He's a guy who um, also kind of has like a a little bit more of like an NFL mentality and background to the way that he calls defense. And and the best way to explain that would be he would watch the tape and the offense would come out in a two by two formation. So we would have this defense. It was uh, over colors and based off of the formation, we played a different color and the color stood for the coverage. So they'd come out, two receivers on either side of the formation, we would play one co- uh, one color, and then you would have a receiver motion to the other side, so now it's three receivers on one side, one receiver on the other, and we play a different coverage. And we had to make those adjustments on the fly, and it was advantageous for us because we would be able to play our strongest defense to what the offense was putting out there. The hardest part about that is you're always thinking. You're constantly thinking – and it's not just, what does the offense like to do when they get into X, Y, and Z formation? It is, what do we have to be in? Then what does the offense like to do to what we're in? And then how are we best able to defend that? Just a ton pre-snap. Chris Ash comes in. He's a guru in one thing. It's over cover four. That's it's the only thing that he runs. It's it's a one coverage. It's quarters. There are four deep zones. That's it. It's the only thing he knows other defense. It's the only thing he knows, it's the only thing he teaches. And what was good for us is we knew all of the weak points of cover four. And that's the only way offenses are going to try to attack us. So it didn't matter what they got into. It didn't matter what formation we just knew like, okay, um, you know, the flat on the the short side of the field is always going to be difficult Four verticals. Obviously those guys are going to have to get on their horse. Um, you know, they're like, I, what else you want? Like, we're going to be strong in the run. We're going to be strong in the pass. Um, and we needed that simplicity because our athletes were just better than everybody else to so just go out there and play.
1: Well, second OSU alum, Mike Vrabel leaves for a job with Bill O'Brien in the Houston Texans as those two are former or excuse me, they're familiar with each other from their time in new England. And he's replaced by Larry Johnson, who was recently passed over for the Penn state job when interestingly enough, Bill O'Brien left. So there's some serious Bill O'Brien related coaching moves here, but same question as before, Joshua. What's the difference between Mike Vrabel and Larry Johnson?
0: You know, this is like the the example. Um, but Mike Vrabel is the guy who was at a casino and through whatever situation, confusion, um, got a little bit tangled up and was arrested. And uh, Larry Johnson is a preacher. So, you know, it's it's two completely different personalities. It's two completely different styles of coaching. If I said that Mike Vrabel was a dickhead, he would take that as a compliment. Like I could say that about him and he wouldn't get offended. That's, that's how he wants to push greatness out of his players. Um, Larry Johnson, on the other hand, is a guy who's going to put his arm around you and he's going to, you know, be really calm and he's going to talk to you very differently than Mike Vrabel would. And I think the reason that was healthy is because uh, when you get two years with a guy like Vrabel, it can wear on you. And you could see those guys uh, on the D line were kind of getting worn down, and then Larry Johnson comes in, and it's it it just provides that spark of energy. It's not to say that one is better than the other. It's to say that probably too much of either one of those creates a an environment where guys aren't being pushed to their best.
2: Like Coach or Coach Mig says, that give a shit factor was increased. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and that's that was something that we observed too. Right. I mean, heck, like I wasn't even in the room, but you could just tell that the guys in there wanted to go make plays yep. that much more. Maybe because they felt supported in some way that they didn't beforehand. But, you know, football is still football, right? You still got to go out there and make plays, and it's a physical game. But sometimes that little small and tangible can get different things out of guys.
0: The guy who who really explained it to me was Mike Bennett um, because he was one of those guys who was um, criticized hard by Coach Meyer, you know, just really pushed and held to a really high standard. And uh, Mike Vrabel was the same way with him. And Mike would just be – I mean, he'd be – on him because he wanted him to be great. And LJ came around And the beauty of that was it wasn't the head coach and the position coach. Now, both on him, urban was able to be the bad cop and LJ was able to be the good cop. And for a guy like Mike Bennett, that's exactly what he needed at the time.
1: Well, now that the coaching staff is somewhat settled, let's jump, let's jump into training. And I want to break this up into two parts, physical training and the leadership training. And it's important to note Urban's premium on developing both of these skills, as he says once again in his book, quote, under pressure, we don't rise to the occasion, we rise to the level of our training. So let's start with the off-season physical training. And as we're going to hear from both Joshua and Evan, this goes far beyond just lifting weights. But before we get into specifics, let's talk about the off-season training schedule and who specifically is leading this charge. When things start to ramp up after the new year, are you presented with a schedule or a plan of what your offseason training is going to look like?
2: Uh, n- No. Um, personally, do we have like goals to attain? Yeah. And and those are communicated, but we definitely, you know, it's very much week to week, day to day, but for a very specific and important reason. But yeah, no, we're not looped into that information prior to
1: so can you take us through a typical week, maybe in January or February, where you've got mat drills and runs and things like that, but maybe give an overview of the schedule. We'll get into the specific drills and mentality in a second, but the schedule, what yeah. is it?
2: Well, I mean, so first we're doing something Monday through Friday. And that's that's where it starts. But team activities will be on on Tuesday, we'll do team runs. Wednesday will be mat drills. So this physical winner loser combative type of scenarios. Thursday will be another team run and Fridays are... Usually your morning workout before the weekend, right? Your
0: last like I don't know why you just you said morning workout like Fridays. Well, are, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. morning
2: morning, morning workout is you is, know the little to gear up to
0: the weekend. <laughs> yeah, like we're out we're there out. drinking my ties. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, right. No, but uh, it, it, they were
2: all real, right? Like so, each one of them was wasn't a slouch. Like Monday, just because we didn't have a team run, wasn't a workout you could get away from. Like you know that was probably going to be a big leg or. Probably leg because We never lifted and ran on the same day. So it'd probably be a bigger leg day on a Monday, right? And then you're gonna go on Tuesday and you got a two-a day essentially, right? So you're gonna have to get it, you know, upper dynamic, whatever the heck we're doing, but plus we're running as a team and you know that also has in, in some cases some winner loser aspects to it, but definitely team aspects to it. Hey, we're gonna have to make this time or we'll have to do it again. Yeah. Or we'll have to, you know, everybody's gotta cross the line yeah. or we'll have to do it again. So that's what that's what the the schedule.
0: The the one <laughs> or we'll have to do it again was, um, at the end of each station coach would, uh, he'd have us get in a stance, like a runner stance so we could run to the next station. But like, as soon as the whistle blew, you had to get in your stance. And so, you know, there's guys like walking to find a space. So they're not on top of somebody with like somebody's butt in their face while they're in a stance. And then Mick would just snap, and he'd be like, "We're doing the station over again because Dontre Wilson didn't want to get in a stance." And it's like, "All right, Dontre is <laughs> so <laughs> right. you gonna learn. Like, it doesn't matter if somebody's stinky asses in your face; yeah. you don't get in that stance."
2: <laughs> and it was, it That's was always point, stuff like that. It was- but I mean, and, and it, these are real drills yeah. now. So like, imagine, like you know,
0: and everything's competitive. Like every drill that we do at these there stations, there's a winner and a loser. You're right. going against somebody, so yep. it might be. An L drill, which is uh, five yards down, five yards back, and then you go back up five yards, you run another five yards around another cone, five yards back, and then five yards to the original spot in the shape of an L, right? So we would do that, and you'd probably, what, get five, six reps in at the station or more, and they're competitive reps, winner, loser, to then hear the whistle, stop what you're doing, get in your stance, sprint to the next station, and then if you're running over bags at the next station, that's what you're doing.
1: Evaluation-heavy program. The the agility work, the
2: competition, all of it was crazy.
0: Well, and and until that point, they kept score. So it's not just like winner-loser while you're out there. Like there's an intern or a a GA who's standing there with a clipboard who's writing down who won and who lost. And then there's a running tally for the whole offseason of how many reps you won, how many reps you lost. And then they would grade you based off of that. And Champions Club at the end of the offseason was based off of how many reps you won or lost um like if did you make weight like that counts like everything it was a situation like
2: how hard would you try if you knew all of those long or short-term objectives were down the road right like you know shoot I only get five chances to go against Devin Smith and we're in the L drill and he's really good at that second turn like how can I try to beat him but like pushing yourself trying to find that mental or physical edge is the goal because then like I know if I do it and I win a couple of these I'm better at the next one, but also I also get to get something at this championship um day event once we get some things passed out to us so. and
0: I know I'm going on and on, but like even to that point, if there was, for example, we did a star drill, so it's like a shape of a star you you know you run into the middle, you touch the cones on the outside. I'm as tall and my legs are, and my arms are as long as can be. I was great at the star drill, and so. I would get to a point if I knew somebody was going to whoop my ass on a pro shuttle because they could do those turns quicker. I would jump the line in the star drill and I would make my opponent do it more times than anybody else. Like I would just cut in line and keep going in the front because this is what happens is I would either win and I would get the point. So I could just load up on points or they wouldn't be paying attention. And so if they weren't at the start line, when I was at the start line, they would get a penalty, which like counts as a negative point on their score. So you're trying to find every single advantage and really just break somebody else's will. It's a strategy. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah you is. have a
1: strategy. Wow. Well, you guys both mentioned Coach Mick and obviously you're referencing Coach Mickey Marotti. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for those who don't remember when Urban was hired in 2011, according to Bleacher Report, he said to Coach Mick, quote, the most important hire I made on this coaching staff to bring toughness, to make sure we're in great shape and to get this team ready to go, our strength coach, Mickey Marotti, end quote. Most important hire. Yeah. He also said in the ESPN special training days, quote, I don't know if I've ever trusted anyone as much as I trust him, end quote. I'm sure his wife Shelly would love that. But (laughs) high praise indeed. Can you guys describe Coach Mick for the listeners? Well,
2: I mean, he gets the praise because Coach is passing the team over to him. And and there's a very uh, traditional ceremony, quote unquote, around it that, you know, after the season and then going into the season, that happens. But, you know, Coach Mick is just an incredible leader as it relates to strength training, um, emotional and physical development, right? Because I think he's, he's a professional at being able to stretch us to the limit of where our bodies will allow us to go and, and not from a standpoint of, um, endangering health, right? Like right. doing it from a very healthy and, um, you know, tenacious way, right? Like building that toughness that comes from somewhere, right? Like, Like all of these combative things where we're talking about running around a cone or maybe pulling a rope against somebody like you're training something in your mind. And that's all pre-thought of. Right. Coach Mick has all of these different tools that he rips on and 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 really uses them to the benefit for for all of us. So, you know, he's unique because he he treats his, his his job very seriously, but also has a lot to play with. And, you know, it's it's turned a lot of good players into some of the best players we've we've seen play the game.
1: Well, as people are going to hear in this podcast, you guys both kind of give him a lot of credit for helping become the players that you became. This might be as good a time as any to tell the listeners something about Coach Mick that they don't know. We all hear the myth of Coach Mick Mirati, and we've seen his thing on the sidelines and stuff like that. But what what do we not know about him? Is there a softer side to him? Does he... Mm. I don't know about that. <laughs>
2: maybe maybe he, he wore the same nasty, ratty ass Ohio state crew neck sweater for, Every you know, three years probably that you I knew know, him. Maybe longer. <laughs> Maybe yeah. he
0: might still have it on if he's <laughs> listening to this at this moment. Yeah. But no, uh, Mick is a genuine guy. Yeah. Uh, two things. He plays the drums. Oh, like I he has a know. drum set set up in his house and he likes to do jam sessions. Like, I mean, he loves it and he's good. Um, so that's number one. Number two, and we I would always joke with him on night games, he had a goal of getting thirty thousand steps before he went over to the stadium. Uh, so he'd be wearing his pedometer and like I would just check in, I'd be like, Mick, how many steps you got? And he'd be like, Oh so I only got nine thousand on my schedule right now. Yeah.
1: And I'd be like, Oh, you better get to work. <laughs> so Man, talk yeah. about a strength coach who lives it. Right. Um to hear Coach Mick describe his purpose and mentality is actually something very special. He says in Urban's book, Quote, my job is to maximize our players' genetic potential. We do that by increasing their work capacity beyond their physical limits. Too often the mind turns the body off. We push you to stay engaged and train your mind to work harder and longer. End quote. Fair assessment. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's incredibly accurate. Before we carry on, a quick word to potential advertisers. We're looking to get your spot in our show. Glory Days podcast can help you reach fans that want what you're selling. And not just Ohio State fans, but college football fans around the country.
2: That's right. And there's a variety of ways that you guys can advertise with us. Just ask and we'll help you find what you need.
1: And look, if you don't know what you want to do, we can even help you create your own commercial. If you'd like to become a Glory Days partner, drop us a line at info at That's info at glorydays.media. A crucial part of winter conditioning is the mat drills Coach Mick, his assistants, and our staff put our players through in the early morning hours throughout February. They set up stations on six large wrestling mats in our indoor field and then turn the heaters up to increase the temperature. Three of the stations are one-on-one competitions with ropes, tires, and bone dummies, and the other three are group agility drills involving seat rolls, bear crawls, and short sprints. Every player goes through each station at least twice in a circuit with very little rest, and we're going to find out who's going to respond above the line. He said call. at
0: least twice. Yeah,
2: right. He's <laughs> going to want to just let it run. At you. least. Yeah, this- <laughs> I'll let you know when I'm done.
1: <laughs> so, you guys you talked about a winner and a loser yeah. describe the specific mat drills and what do you think the drills, you know, well, I think that we know what they were designed to do a winner and a loser, but yeah. you know, describe the mat drills. So I'll take the roles. You got the combative ones. Okay. okay. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so the, the role
2: is, it's probably mixing a lot more of the cardio, get more guys moving, continue to work this agility scenario, but you know, it'll be the situation where, like, you're on two feet, buzzing your feet, right, chopping and whatever, and then he'll say, like, he'll point a direction, and then you're rolling, you know, I'm, I'm kind like of turning behind me, like a seat roll, and you put your butt on the ground, you roll, and you get up as quickly as you can, you're buzzing your feet again. And eventually, you're on all fours, and you're doing rolls, and then eventually, you're doing, like, short sprints to a line and back. So, eventually, it's just kind of like, hey, we got four guys, you know, um, I don't know, a line that's four, four guys deep. Right. And we're just going to run this thing. So we're on a whistle. Everybody's up. If you're slow getting up, if you're tired, if you look bad, we're starting over. We're going to make a, you know, a very public image of you in front of the team and older guys in the front too. And older guys are always in the front. Right. And then eventually towards the end, it's, you know, they'll, they'll kind of get the guys who, you know, either are leaders or busted ass in the workout. And then they all kind of do the roles together and coach mix over there, patting the mat going crazy. Dudes are, you know, hyping themselves up, but I don't know, it's just a, it's a movement type of workout scenario where, you know, you can get some guys coordinated and again, right. Get to
0: that cardiovascular limit and, and make some decisions. Yeah. And you know, it's the, the agility, but also like the focus of making sure that um, you're doing the right command. It's the focus of making sure that while the other group is going, that you're locked in and you're in your stance, ready to go. So number Think of, of components. Tired stuff. Yeah. Now the combative drills were 100% what it sounds like. They, they were, created to make you go one-on-one with somebody else there's a winner there's a loser and you're supposed to fight for whatever you're looking for so uh, they said you know they had the the ropes which is basically like a tug of war they had uh tires which was again like a tug of war but to the point where you know like the lines were kind of far apart and so (laughs) strategy right so on the tires you're going you're going you're trying to pull the guy like get him all the way over I would like sweep people's feet from under them. Like yeah, I there, were just, no there. there were no uh, rules. There were no rules. There
2: really weren't. So oh, you wow. could
0: sweep somebody's feet out and then just drag them over the line. They'd be all pissed. Oh, you can't do that. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, I yes, did. I can. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's the bone dummy, which is like you're yeah. just trying to roll. They had these towels at one point, though. You remember yeah, that? the towels were. That was real. We were told that uh, the towels were a no-no. And um, we had this other one that was a wrestling the towels became wrestling. So that's why that became. Well, the one out. before the towels. The one before the towels actual actual was actual wrestling. wrestling. That like, one got shut there down. There was somebody quick. on you, and you had to like crawl to a line and cross the line, and that person was supposed to prevent you. That, was, that got yeah. shut down. On the towels, um, I was battling with Stu Smith, uh, who was a walk on linebacker, and you had to interlock hands. And the whole point of that drill was to try to take the towel from the other person. And um, you know the towels were thick, so you couldn't really like grip too hard into them. And the one day he was beating my ass, and I was tired of it, so I bit him on the shoulder, ah. and he like shouted out, let go of the towel, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you can't bite me. I'm like, like hell, I can't yes, bite you. I'm tired of losing. <laughs> yeah.
2: So no, that, that that was real though. I mean, you know, imagine just a little rolled up towel in between two people facing each other, almost shoulder to shoulder. First whistle is everybody goes down. You get your hands on one, obviously facing different directions. And then again, limited rules and the whistle blows again. And it's
0: how bad do you want to win? Yeah. You figure it out.
1: Well, it sounds like your answer sounds like it jibes with what urban says they were designed to do, which is quote, I want to find out in February during Matt drills, how tough a player is not in November on fourth and five against Michigan state. Every station is a mental and physical battle that induces fatigue quickly They're designed to strip away football talent and get to the core of how tough our players are. We discover who's willing to push themselves when conflict arises, who can handle chaotic situations, who backs down from confrontation, and who taps out when pressure and discomfort are applied, and who bites somebody. Yeah. (laughs) End quote. (laughs) Wow. That sounds crazy intense, you know, especially for a first-timer. Um, any other memories of Matt drills? I and mean, we just heard about Stu Smith and the biting. How about you having any, uh, any one-on-ones you remember? Not too much to be okay. honest.
2: I, I don't have any crazy ones. Like the, the wrestling was, a, was nuts just because you had 10 yards of another free for all where like the dude could actually swing his feet around and like prevent you from moving anywhere. Yeah. yeah. So that that promoted some fights. I, I wasn't in any of them, but I definitely pulled some dudes off of some.
0: Okay. Do you remember when uh Tom Herman tried to fight Mike Vrabel yeah, during the that, Metro? I do remember really, right? that. Yeah. That was
2: that was hilarious. <laughs> it was, it it was, was so like that's a bad idea. It was it was
0: <laughs> Mike Vrabel, a literal pit bull. And then it was Tom Herman, a Yorkshire Terrier. Barking And he's like, oh, hold me back, hold me back. And Mike's like, no, if he wants to fight, don't hold him back. Like, <laughs> I'm ready for this one. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, you know, coaches get heated like players too. Sure. Um, and it, I guess that kind of is more of the overarching thing. Well, the coaches ran with the players. Yes.
2: So when the offense or defense lost in a specific event yep. in Matt Drills, you bet your ass, Coach Herman or Coach Raybol were running, and they're both talking smack. <laughs> yeah. But
0: that's Urban wanted that though. Like he wanted to challenge the coaches as much as he wanted to challenge the players too, and he wanted them to feel backed into a corner and for them to be combative and for them to hash things out the way that they needed to, because ultimately that was going to make them a better staff. There was there was no animosity that he wanted to create, but he wanted those guys to be just like us. Where if you if you have something that you need to get figured out, let's go ahead and do that.
1: So when the coaches are having to run because of something that you guys are doing, I (laughs) got to imagine the coaches, (laughs) the coaches are coming down on you saying, look, you know, Joshua, this is again, evaluation heavy program. Right. But Joshua, I see, this is where you're rated right now. You know, I'm having to run because of you. Come on, man. Like,
0: yeah, Luke fickle would just, he would shame somebody for it too. And, and really what he would be like is, uh, he'd be like, you know, I'll, I'll run for Curtis Grant or I'll run for Ryan Shazier. I ain't running for your ass. <laughs> you know, like a yeah. guy who hadn't proven himself, yeah. who hadn't really opened up his chest as the program yet. Because Luke was fair. He's like, all, all you guys are going to mess up. At some point, I'm going to be running sprints because any one of you messes up. Nobody's perfect. Mm. But some of y'all are definitely more perfect than others of y'all. He's like, so you right there, I'm not running for you. I'll run for that guy, not for you.
1: A reminder where you can find us on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod. And like us on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. And make sure to visit us on the web at GloryDaysPodcasts.com. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review and rating to tell us what you think. So you guys have both said on multiple occasions, it's an evaluation heavy program. Explain what that means. Again, I think you you may already have, but like go to the granular of this. Sure. Every practice, every rep, everything is evaluated. I mean,
2: it it really is down, down to the, I mean, we're talking about team runs where, you know, I, I know that my L drill may be better than Devin's L drill or vice versa. His star drill better be, maybe better than mine, but, Three, four months from now, I know that, you know, if I can steal a couple of these in these environments, I'm going to get to where I want to go, right? Like, put it as, like, a new pair of Jordans or, like, some Nike shoes that we all wanted. Great, okay, sweet. Well, put a national championship there, and then it'll start making some relevant importance. You know what I mean? So that's, that, that's kind of just that environment that we were in, and I think that properly answers it. It but. does, it does. I'm, I'm
0: going to give you two examples, though, just to even, like, boil it down a little bit more than that. We would come in during training camp, and we would have to race the person that we came in next to drinking a Gatorade. Whoever could drink it the fastest wins. And that's the first thing you do when you walk into the facility. There were other days, and it's not. this was not like a winner or loser thing, but everything's evaluated, where you'd be walking down the hallway. It's, it's literally 5.15 a.m. And Anthony Schlegel is yelling at you, demeanor check, yeah. pussy face, because your face <laughs> looks like you're not ready to work yet. Um, they, I mean, they're looking at all those different things. Take your hood off when you come in the facility, don't have crusties in your eyes. Like, you know, don't look like you just woke up, even though you just woke up and they're evaluating all that.
1: Oh man. Well, talk a little bit about weight training. How many days a week are you doing this? Because we heard about the team runs. We heard about the drills. How many days a week are you guys doing weight
2: training? So it'll be four, right? So it'll be Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, well, Friday. Cause depending then, if you were um, well, uh,
0: yeah, that's true. high
1: needs guy. Yeah,
2: if you were a high needs guy and you know it's put it in that category, eight. you've pissed the coaches off to some degree <laughs> yeah. or you're light or you need to go catch more balls, yeah. get out of your way, any the high reason. reason, right? Like so some reason that you need to go work on some craft or the coaches are pissed for some reason, you're on high needs and then you'll work on a Wednesday. But most of the time it's... Upper-lower Monday-Tuesday, upper-lower Thursday-Friday.
0: Yeah, and they had high needs on Saturdays, too. So you, you could be a guy who was, you know, I was a high-needs Saturday guy, and you get the extra lift in, and they can't make you do it, but they made you do it. <laughs> <Exactly>. yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of weight training with Coach Mick, Zach Boren told Bleacher Report something interesting when he said, quote, it's just things like intensity. We would go in every day with the strength program, not knowing what to expect. Coach Mick didn't want any of our guys getting into a rhythm. He always wanted us to be on our toes. It shocked our bodies. End quote. Talk a little bit about how the strength and conditioning team would periodically change things up, like leading, like putting on extra weights at the end of a drill. Yeah. I mean,
2: well, I mean it, that's that's 100 the thing. And when you asked question earlier, like, oh yeah, so tell me walk through your work your workouts. We're like, well we walked into them blind every yeah. day. And I think that it was to that point, right? Like let's create an environment to where like, you know, I could be like, Oh shit, last Tuesday's lower heart lift was hard. But like, at least I know that we're only going to do three sets of those leg presses. And then yeah, you get okay. into Tuesday and we have <laughs> 15 sets of like a slightly lighter weight. And you're like, oh,
0: fuck, how
1: yep.
2: the hell am I supposed to do that? But he's already done all the math on it. He's yeah. already figured out that this is your specific weight load or your your maximum capacity given last week's effort. But like everything is is, is kind of built into some kind of framework like that, quite honestly. And, um, you know, it, it it very much was that, right? Like we were pushed very hard and, and, and as are most people, but um, consistency in our actual workout items was um, very small.
1: Well, you guys both played in the NFL. How did the weight training program at Ohio State compare to that of a professional team?
0: There's no comparison. Like in the NFL, they they give you suggestions on what workouts to do, even during the season when they own your time. And guys will say like, well, you know what? My trainer says not to do this, so I'm just going to do what my trainer says. And the strength coach is like, sure. Mickey Marotti like, hey, you're going to do this workout. And you're like, "Ah, man, you know, my shoulder hurts. And he's like i got a modification for that. You're still doing this <laughs> yeah, workout. Right, so totally. it's, you know, like they, they made sure. And then the other thing too, is like NFL guys, they don't get as invested. Um, you know, our guys used to have fun with it. Like Luke fickle would be in there on a Friday. He saw me dragging ass one day, like threw a million weights on the leg press like making me do all these reps that I like, my legs were, I couldn't stand up afterward, and then he'd like smirk at me after. Yeah. You don't get that kind of stuff in the yeah, league. That's very true. I mean, and too, like you know, you're dealing with grown men.
2: There, there's 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 a difference, right? Like, yes, you have to develop and get the best out of your athletes while you're in college, but they're also eighteen. They're also twenty one, and so they, they're still like making sure they're like, oh, okay, well beat the clocks later, but I got to get through this wall sit. And then I, you know, so can it's you like, explain beat the clock, beat the clock, you know, so <laughs> there's a bar on town or in town. And at one, there's $1 beers, $2 beers at two, $3 oh, beers at three okay. and goes on all the way to like six o'clock or something. If you make it to then you're smashed. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I, I use it as an example to say that like, you know, one, there's so much sporadicness to, so that's not in the top of your mind, but, um, You know, I I don't know. I guess I lost my train of thought there. But, you know, it's about focus and it's about the grind. And, you know, they did a damn good job of that one.
1: You had me at $1 beers. Yeah, yeah, Gavin's over there smirking right now. I live in New York. That's like times 25 (laughs) for one beer. Before we get into leadership training, Evan, I'm wondering, as you arrived on campus one football season prior to Urban in Columbus, did you experience any kind of training regimen from the Jim Trestle area? And if you did, what was the difference between – an Urban and Coach Mick program and the Trestle, Luke Fickle. Summer, I think, was harder Inter- like
2: in- with Fickle and those guys because it was it was just different, right? Like, the one that we what had. What was it? It was uh, four quarters. So, like, you know, the offense would have to go out there and almost, like, run a set of plays. And then while the defense would go out there, the offense was running gassers. And ah, that's you, know, you, you, you had, know, had, like, a, a certain amount of that. quarters. And then yeah. the like, first quarter's over. Okay, now second quarter. And then you're just going. It was awful, dude. It sucked. But, you know, and, and I guess... To piggyback off of that like when we first got to Ohio State like you know Coach Fick had us on the turf every day whether that was because we needed to look fast on film or not I have no idea sure. but we were grinding on that turf you know the receivers our knees were grinding yeah. on that turf is yeah. yeah. not you good. know what I mean so you know there's small differences like that but um nothing that jumps out nothing nothing too crazy no well
1: let's switch topics and move over to leadership training and it's a skill that the coaching staff puts a premium on and even credits is a key component in winning championships. As Urban says in his book, quote, "The defining characteristic of every championship team is leadership. Leadership isn't a difference maker, it's the difference maker. A leader is someone who earns trust, sets a clear standard, and equips and inspires people to meet that standard." End quote. And then he goes on to say, according to Twitter,, quote, "Average leaders have a quote. good leaders have a plan, great leaders have a system." end quote. Offline, we talked a lot about the elements of this system, but for time's sake, you guys really broke it down to its core elements. And you said, it's basically a simple equation. Can you tell us what this is and how you were specifically trained in this equation?
2: Yeah. I mean, any event, right, is going to result in a response. Now, if you're not thinking about it, the outcome is uncontrollable, right? But if I know that I want to become a lawyer, right? And then I get an event that's a failed bar exam. Well, I can respond and say, this sucks. The world's out to get me. I, you know, I'm never going to do this. And then you never do it. Or you can say, you know what? Damn it, I I can study harder. I, I can do these things differently and I can respond differently. So my outcome still is what I want. And that very simple equation what is what was applied to our lives in, you know, football season and, you know, as men in, in, in the classroom and just growing up and, you know, finding ourselves in the community. It was Listen, there's going to be so many things that are thrown at you. Life in football particularly will always res, you know come back to the fact that, like, hey, how are you going to respond in this moment? Because you and I talked about wanting to go do something, right? So that's still there. What are you going to respond to get there? Or how are you going to respond to get there? And that's the, the fundamentals behind it. And that's the system behind it and why it, it really worked for us.
0: Yeah, and that was, that was it. That was the only thing. There is nothing else. It yeah. was Tim Kite, who that's his system. He implemented it. For us at OSU, and it was so repetitive, um, like so repetitive, it would make you sick. You Just know, like, I'd say that. the yeah. difference would be like in the Trestle days, there
2: would be like a group of guys that would lead a lot of the community-driven efforts, or you know, things like that. So, so the system was a little bit wider and less intensely focused, I guess I would say. Not that not the result or the outcome was any less important. But with us, it was like, listen, like this applies to like winning games, but it also applies to like you being better people too.
1: So the equation is E plus R equals O, event plus response equals the outcome.
2: You got big
0: E's, you got little E's, you know, big events, little events. So, you know, they, they warrant different types of responses there. Uh, You don't control the event, you control the response and that will dictate your outcomes. Um, When you, when you have a big E, a big event, what you need to do, is press pause, get your mind right, and build skill, and then of course you move forward through the whole process. Like I could teach the class right now, Tim Kite. If you need somebody to teach the class, holler at your boy because I still remember everything. Check your inbox, it'll yeah. come. But um yeah.
1: Well, let's do a real life example here, football wise. I mean, you talked to one yeah. about an attorney, but Braxton Miller is injured. Yeah. The event is Braxton Miller is injured. Right. What's the response?
2: Well, First, make sure that we are crystal clear on what our outcome is here. And right. uh, and I'll speak as a senior, right? Like, guys, have you have any of you guys won a, a Big Ten championship here? Any of us seniors? No, because not one of us can raise our hand. We lost last year, and we didn't get to go the year before, and we were six or seven the year before. So uh, ultimately, like, let's just start there. Let's win a Big Ten championship game. Well, you know, we've been getting preached this, uh, you know, all summer, all whatever, right? Like, we've been making jokes about how corny it can be at times or whatever, but let's talk about something that applies, right? Our boy, our, 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 our guy is down. I mean, Evan, can you go play quarterback? Shit, I don't know, but I can figure it out because at the end of the day, I want Jeff to go out the right way. You know, like um, JT is going to be our quarterback. Okay, well, great. Well, we got some reps in with him in the summer. We'll figure it out. But at the end of the day, our back is against the wall and we have to do it. So what do we have to do to get there? And it was just more or less that was the response because we wanted to get to our outcome. Now, we still had learnings, right? You know, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect, didn't Amy And it damn sure wasn't perfect against Virginia Tech. But it was more or less about like, hey, know where our outcome is and let's make sure that we ingrain this response into every one of our heads and trickle it down into the young cats because that's how we're going to get there. Or we'll fall on our face and look like idiots.
0: Trickle down responses is one of my, uh, my favorite theories there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard you guys both say... Like after the loss to Virginia Tech, you know, yeah. it's a pretty significant event. Yeah. Your, your response is you guys want to win the national championship. So, or no, your outcome is you want to win the national championship of the big 10. Your response is every play has to be perfect. Right. In yeah. Practice, There's no doubt. Every yeah. rep has to be perfect.
2: I mean, okay. to coach Meyer's point, right? Like the training and the practice need to be harder than the event or the game or whatever it is, right? Well, okay. Off season sucks. Practice is miserable. So that on Sunday it's easy. Yeah. Right. In the start of the fourth quarter, I feel good and refreshed and ready to go get them, and not like, holy shit, <laughs> right, right, right. I, I right. need I need the I need the IV to make sure I'm not cramping here. So it's just a difference in
0: mentality. Yeah, I mean, like I got to belabor that point because we we were so focused and intent on this type of training because literally, Urban believes that when things go haywire, you respond to the level of your training. You don't respond to, oh, you know, like I, I need to be able to do this. So all of a sudden I'm going to be able to do that now. It's like, no, if you never train that way, you're never going to do it when things start to get hectic. Um, and so for us, it was like, okay, what's the best way to make sure that we train our bodies and our minds to be able to handle all of the chaos that comes along with the college football season?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, when the bullets start flying, that's way too right. late. Yeah, right. that's too late, no doubt. But given our previous discussion about the way 2013 ended, I'm wondering how you viewed the leadership on a 15 and 1 national championship team compared to a 12 and 2 team that lost the last two games. Did you see a difference and what was it?
2: I honestly I'd just say that like that intense like obsession to finish was the difference, right? Like so the leaders of both teams, right? In in one case and I can say and I love those dudes to death, but one group of individuals were more obsessed to do whatever they could to finish, right? Like, like, hey, I'm not not playing. I am going to be in there and I've worked on every play. I've worked on every rep so that like I can be counted on in this moment because we have to finish. Right. Like, you know, gone are the days of us being able to oh well we get one more chance at the Big Ten championship. Yep. But we get one more chance at being the first ever to go into the college football playoff. Yep. And I'm like, no. Those days are gone. It is our opportunity to do it. And we don't have another opportunity right now. So that, that, that clarity of that obsession was, that was the difference in my opinion.
0: Yeah. I think you, you spoke right there to two things is urgency in the moment, because for some people just time was running out. Like, you know, coach used to actually make this analogy and it never really hit until it hit. But, um, you have a bowl full of marbles and then every day you pull out a marble and then you get to your senior year and you're like, Oh man, there's like right. marbles left right. in here. Like, Oh my gosh. That was how a lot of your class felt. The other thing that I think really happened along with that urgency is people actually became invested in the leadership aspect of it. Because one thing I talked about with the 2013 season and I, I some of the guys who are our veteran leader guys on that team, I respect and I appreciate but they weren't the leaders that we had in 2014 at all. It was completely different. And, and I think it was because we had our our top level guys were totally invested at being the best leaders they could be. And then the next level of guys were invested in learning how to become those types of leaders while also buying into what our main group of leaders were talking about. And then even the guys behind them who had no idea what they were doing were like, you know what, I'm going to just follow along and see if this thing works. We didn't have it like that in 13.
1: We've got a lot more to dig into before we get into the season. So much so that we're going to have to put the rest of it into another episode. But don't worry. Part two of this episode is just around the corner. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer. Hosted by Chris Caldwell. Hi all, it's Chris. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod. And like us on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. Next time, when we continue our conversation. And you look, and then you look back because you heard the
0: shriek. And then you kind of, like, look over at whoever's on your side, and you look on the other side, and you're
1: like, oh, shit. Just kind of, like, think it happened again. Joshua and Evan take us through new recruits, spring training, and a devastating injury that would change the outlook on the season. We'll talk to you soon.